Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Uh, Welcome. My name is Fred. I get to be the lead pastor here, and I am glad uh, that y'all are with us today. Um, uh, Here's what I hope happens. Whether you're here in person or whether you're tuning in online, uh, I hope that you leave this time with more faith and trust in Jesus than we started with. Uh, And even more so, I hope that tomorrow, when Monday morning hits, you have even more faith and trust in Jesus then than you do today. And, and, and that is my hope as, as your pastor here. Um, uh, and, and what that means, too, is that this, is that really, if that's what you want, is more faith and trust in Jesus, uh, then let me tell you, there is always room for you here, right? That's, that's what church is. And, and that's kind of what these chairs up here represent. It's what our series represents. We're doing, uh, we started a new series last week called Coming Home, where we're going through the, the Psalms of Ascent, which is in, the, in your Bible at Psalms 120 through 134. And these Psalms of Ascent, these songs of Ascent, if you want to use a common word, were sung by the nation of Israel as they traveled from wherever they lived to what they considered their true home, Israel, and particularly to the temple in Israel. And they made this journey three times a year. And this was, this was their playlist, right? As they sang the song. If you're here last week, I made a, a, a 50-year-old um, word faux pas and I called it a mixtape, right? Here's what happened in my head when I said that though. I heard mixtape come out of my mouth. And I thought, no, that's wrong. Say a CD, no, that's still wrong. Say a playlist. Like, like uh, y'all saw like time-traveling Fred to, 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 to jump through that. But what this book represents is it represents those songs of people coming from wherever they are. And their GPS was all set for the same place, and that was Jerusalem. And for us, as we, as we, as we apply what was true for ancient Israel, as we apply it to us, what it means is that we are kind of on the same journey. Now, we're not going to Jerusalem three times a year, but, but what we've realized and what we are realizing is that the place that we live isn't our home, right? Asheville is simply the place that we live or wherever you're tuning in from. Like, like that's the place that you live that is not your home. Our home will one day be a place called heaven. And until then, God has given us this great gift that our home is a person. And his name is Jesus. And so as followers of Jesus, we don't get the place that we live confused from our home, that our home is with Jesus. And so like we're going to do as we go through these Psalms, what we're going to see is that this idea of coming home, there really is room for anybody, that with Jesus, there is a place for anybody. Do y'all agree with that? Yeah. Well, that's what these chairs back here remind us of. Last week, we only had one chair. And I put a call out and I said, hey, listen, as we go through this series from now until literally the Sunday right before Easter, 
We're going to be covering these psalms. What would happen if we added chairs up here to the stage? And not just because they're, they're, they're cool and fun chairs. There are some really cool chairs up here, aren't there? Right? Like, but what if these chairs represented someone? What if these chairs told a story? What if these chairs represented people that we wanted to, to be on this journey with us. Now, now, that could be for the first time that they say yes to Jesus and start following Jesus. It could also be people that have said yes and have wandered off. And, and in both cases, they're living this kind of confused life where they think that the place that they live is their home. And all of their energies and, and dedications go to making this place the happiest place on earth. But it's not. That our home is with Jesus. And so I've heard some of these stories. Actually, for the chairs that are up here right now, I've heard all the stories, and it's really fun. Like this one, this story represents two different people. This chair does. And, and whenever uh, the person who brought the chair here, whenever she thinks about these two people, she always saw them, she sees them in her head sitting in an office chair. And so as she prays for them, this office chair seemed like a perfect picture of them because in her mind, that's where they sit, is in an office chair. Um, this one is just cool, isn't it? It's fun. And, and, and what's unique about this one, this one was the first one that came that, that kind of represented something that, that is becoming more and more true because, because this not only represents a person, the person who brought this chair also said it represents them. Like it is just this continual reminder that, oh yeah, I'm on this journey too. That this isn't just for them out there, this is for us here to be in this reminder that, that Jesus is our home. And I can sit and rest in the comfort of Jesus. And, 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 and with that, it's funny because I, I told him when he brought him here, I said, well, that's actually what we're going to do in our sermon because here's what I want you to do today. Is, is, is not only do I want you to bring more chairs and let's fill the stage up, really like let's get it awkward up here with chairs, right? Because it represents people and maybe even multiple people and, and not people that we just want to join us here at Fellowship Asheville. That would be awesome. But, but the bigger picture is we want them walking with Jesus. That's the bigger picture. But today what I want you to do is I want you to make this transition, Right? See these chairs up here, they represent a story, but I want you, as we go through our sermon today, to put yourself in a chair, to put yourself there as, as needing Jesus in a very special and unique way. And so we're going to be in Psalm 121, and you can go ahead and turn there if you haven't already, but I invite you to picture yourself in a chair, right? Because here's what I hope happens today. We're going to go through a passage, and, and sometimes uh, sermons are like a finely prepared meal, right? You get your first course, you get your second course, you get your third course, and somebody takes you on this, like this, this, this journey of the palate, right? Today is more like a buffet. There's going to be something in this sermon for everyone, I think. So whether you're a mac and cheese person, whether you're a vegan, whatever you are, like I think there's something for you here today because what we're going to see in this psalm is we're going to start off with a big picture and it's going to talk about what do we do when we're in trouble? What do we do when, when we have a problem? And then the answer to that is where I think the buffet is. And, and, and as I've prayed, I have, I, have, I have prayed that we really do leave this place with something that the, the Spirit of God specifically does for each of us, right? Because this particular song is about a person who faces trouble as they're on this journey from the place that they live to the place that they call home, and it's something that we all experience, right? Any, anybody got troubles in your life? Anybody got problems? 
Yeah, well, let's do this. What are your top three? Right? Like, like, seriously, what are your top three problems? Think about it right now. If you're, if you're a journaler, write it down. If you've got your phone out, make a note. What are your top three problems? Is it this? Is it work issues? Right? Do you, do, is your job not satisfying? Is it too complicated? Do you feel overwhelmed? Do you feel like a fraud in your job? Like, if somebody finds out, they're going to realize you really don't know what you're doing. Let me burst that bubble because none of us really know what we're doing, right? Like, but you're not a fraud, you're learning, right? That's part of, part of living. Do you have family problems? Are you trying to raise a teenager? Do you have toddlers at home, right? Is it just too much to navigate, right? Are you navigating a brand new season of life? Like, what, what's going on there? Do you have marriage problems? Right? You're not communicating like the way you used to, or maybe you never communicated at all. What's going on in your marriage? Do you have marriage problems? Is there sex problems in your marriage? Yeah, I just said sex in church. <laughs> right? And if you want more of that, go to Song of Solomon in our, in our archives, and that's all that that's about. It's a great way it's about relationships. Sex is a part of it. But this is a place we talk about stuff like that, right? Students, kids. Do you have school issues? Like a new semester starting soon, right? Are you nervous about who's going to be in your classes? Are you nervous about who's not going to be in your classes? Right? Are you nervous that you won't like your teacher? Are you nervous you won't have friends again this semester? What what, what problems are you facing? Because, see, we all have problems that we face every day, don't we? Right? Now, here's what I want you to do. If you've got your top three, I want you to narrow it down even more for the purpose of today's message. What is your number one biggest problem right now? What is your number one biggest problem? All right, I want you to think about that problem as we go through this passage today. And let's see what the Holy Spirit teaches us about this problem and about how to deal and how to handle this problem, right? Let's look at verse 1. So Psalm 121 says this. It's a song of ascent. And it says, I lift my eyes to the hills, and where does my help come from? Right? I lift my eyes to the hills, and where does my help come from? Now, remember, this is a person who is traveling, right? They're on a road trip. Uh, they're, they're, they're walking. They, they've got people with them. They've got a group of people with them. Oftentimes, people traveled in groups of 20, 30, even more, uh, because there were safety in numbers, and, and people traveled together. We're going to see that even more so in, in next week's psalm. But they're traveling, and, and this person traveling looks up to the hills, right? Jerusalem uh, uh, was set up on the hill, and so as they traveled, that's why these are called the Psalms of Ascents, because because no matter where you're coming from, you're climbing up to Jerusalem. And so they're going uphill. And so, so if, if you would, like these hills back here, what they're doing is they're walk, they're, as they're walking, they're looking up to the hills. And these, these hills, these tops of hills, can represent all different kinds of things. Because depending on where they're coming from, or depending on even the history of Israel, of what's going on then, sometimes on the top of those hills would be temples to foreign gods. Temples to false gods. And they would set these places up and they were places that, that people would go and they would worship these false gods. And there was, there was like temple prostitution that happened there. And there was really good food in those temples, which is why later in the New Testament you see these mandates about food that's connected to, to idol worship and to temple worship. Because the best restaurants were up on top of those hills connected to temples of foreign gods. Right? And so they could look up to these hills and they might see temptation. Or 
depending on where they're coming from and depending on the history of the nation around then, they could look up to the top of these hills and feel fear because that's where robbers would hide, right? Like if you were gonna, if you were gonna uh, 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 rob people and you knew that people from the nation of Israel traveled long distances three times a year based around specific holidays, you would grab that calendar and look and be like, when are those holidays? Because we know people are going to be traveling up and down this road during that time, and we're going to hide out in the hills, and when they stop for camp, we are going to ambush them and take everything that belongs to them. And so they could be looking up to the hills and looking for robbers and looking for thieves, and, the, and so looking up to these hills could bring fear to them. So they could, they could be looking up and, and have having temptation. They could be looking up and having fear. Or they could also be looking up and seeing them as a place of refuge. David, when he was running from, from Saul and, 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 and when he was anointed king but wasn't king yet, he ran to the hills out of, out of fear. And that was this place that God protected him. And it, was, and it was a refuge. And so they could look up to the hills and not only see maybe temptation, see fear, but they could also see like God's protection there. Right? And so no matter what this traveler looked up and saw, we know that, that when she looked up, she, she saw what she needed was help. And she's asking this question, where does my help come from? She could be experiencing fear. It could be experiencing temptation. It could even be this need to just stop and take refuge. But the question that bounced around in, in his head, the question that bounced around in her head as travelers, and probably the question that's bounced around in our heads is this question, what do I do? Right? I look to the hills, and where does my help come from? That's the way they said it. We say it like this. We say, what do I do? Or we say this, I don't know what to do. Let me ask you, do you ever think that? Do you ever think, I don't know what to do? If so, that's kind of the definition of a problem, isn't it? A problem is something that we face when we don't know what to do. And this person is looking to the hills, and what's key about this is they're saying, where? Where does my help come from? I don't know what to do. I've got this problem, and I don't know what to do. Where does my help come from? Right? No matter whether it's, it's this fear of, of, of what's ahead, no matter if it's this desire to, to hide, no matter if it's this temptation... They're asking the question, I don't know what to do. Well, look at the response in verse 2. Verse 2 says this. It says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So get this. They're standing there and they're looking at the hills and they say, where? Where does my help come from? And the response in this song is, oh, your, your help isn't actually a where. It's a who. Right? Your help comes from the Lord. Your help comes from, from not the hills that you're looking at. Your help comes from the one who made the hills. As a matter of fact, and this is where the psalmist is just kind of showing off on God just a little bit. He says, as a matter of fact, he didn't just make the hills. What did he make? He made the heavens and the earth. He didn't just make the thing that your problem is surrounded by. He made everything that surrounds everything that your problem is surrounded by. Right? In other words... The psalmist is saying this, that God, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, that he's bigger than your biggest problem, right? You look to the hills and say, where does my help come from? Your help comes from God who is bigger than that problem, that God who is bigger than your biggest problem. Can, now, if, if we were this kind of church without me having to prompt it, this is where this would happen. Can I get an amen to that, right? That God is bigger than our biggest problem, amen? 
they meant. Because it's true and it's right. And I'm glad you amen that because it's about to get real personal on this next verse. Because there's a little twist here. Because what this psalmist is going to do is he's going to do something that I love. Because he's, he's just said that, you know, God is bigger than your biggest problem. But here's what he's going to do. He's going to stop talking about your problem and start talking about you. And that gets a lot harder to amen, to be honest. Right? Because it's about to get personal. What, what this psalmist is about to do is he's about to take you and say, hey, I need you to sit down in this chair because you and I are going to have a little chat. Right? Don't you love it when people want to have a little chat with you? Right? Well, this is the God who made the heavens and the earth saying, let's just sit down and have a little chat. Right? So, so here's what he's saying. He's saying that God is bigger than your biggest problem. But what we're about to see is that you are your biggest problem. That God is bigger than your biggest problem, and you are your biggest problem. Anybody put you as your number one biggest problem on that list in your head that you made up? Probably not, right? Welcome to Fellowship Asheville. Because look at verse 3. Because here's what he does in verse 3, and I love it. He says, uh, verse 3, Psalm 121, He will not let your foot be moved. He will not let your foot be moved, right? So we went from a where to a who. Now the subject is your. He will not let your foot be moved. Now it becomes personal, right? Now this problem that you had, this biggest problem, if it was about that problem, it would say it. But it's your, right? Your means that this is about you and me, and in particular, it's about where we put our feet. Now, let me explain by that, right? Because this is a picture of people on a journey, and, and oftentimes the roads they were walking on were, were rocky, right? And it was easy to slip. These weren't like, like super paved roads. Once the Romans uh, came in power, there were Roman roads there. They're still made out of stones, and, and, and it's still easy to slip and trip. As a matter of fact, the NIV translation says that, that he will not let your foot slip, right? And that's what, that's what this is picturing. As you're on this journey, he will not let your foot slip. Any of you ever been hiking and you need to cross a creek or a stream and so you stand there and you're like, you map out the rocks that you're going to step on and you look at them, but you know what you can't see? Is the mossy one, right? He looks just like the other ones until you put your foot on it. And then what happens? It's like a judo move, isn't it? Like, like, Somebody, what's the one from Karate Kid? Like, like the, 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 that one, like it just knocks your leg out from under you, right? Sweep the leg. That's it. Sweep the leg. Um, uh, I did it again, didn't I? <laughs> but there's a Netflix series. You could, you could be watching that. And they still refer to sweep the leg. I'm old. That's fine. We talked about that last week too. All right, anyway, let's move on. Here's what happened. This is what's pictured, right? It's pictured of this person who steps on what they think is solid, but it's not. And they end up slipping, right? And when you do that, when you do that and you're walking across the creek, you slip, you fall, you grab another rock and it's just as mossy. Next thing you know, you're like covered in head to toe water and like refreshing stream water is the word that we use, right? It just means cold. It's cold, right? And so you get there and, and, and what is pictured here is that this isn't an intentional misstep. It's just a mistake. It's just, it's just a slip that sometimes, sometimes our problems happen because we slip, right? 
Sometimes our problems happen because we make a mistake, and that mistake causes a problem. It wasn't intentional. You didn't mean to do it. It was just an honest mistake. But here we see the heart of God, that he will not let your foot slip, right? So what this psalmist is communicating is something that we need to know and understand about the God who is with us, the God who travels with us, the God, the God who is the source of our, of our help. And it is this, that he is not a mean God. Right? He is not going to make your foot slip. God will not let me do this, whatever this is, to teach me a lesson. No, you, you probably did this. Now, God is going to use it to teach you a lesson, but, but God didn't make your foot slip. It was just a mistake. Because he's not... I mean, God, as a matter of fact, Jesus, in teaching his disciples, wanted to drive this point home and talk about how God is a good father, right? And he said, if you ask your father for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. Or if you're asking for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake, right? He's not going to give you something, something poisonous. He's not going to give you a serpent. No, our God is a good dad. He is a good father. He won't put your foot on a slippery rock. But listen to this in verse 3. The rest of verse 3, it says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Right? With, with Jesus, like this is important. Jesus is good news. And if it doesn't sound like good news, Jesus isn't done yet. And so when you hear God won't let your foot slip, that may not be good news. But the good news is that he is there when you do. He is not asleep. He is not, he is not taking a nap. That, that God knows we still put our feet on slippery rocks and he is there. That, that we will make mistakes and our mistakes will cause problems. But the promise here is that God doesn't sleep and he sees and he is with us. He sees you and me when we make the right choices. He sees you and me when we make the wrong choices. We'll talk about that in a minute. He sees you and me when we think we make the right choice, but it's just not. He sees us when we slip. He sees us when we make a mistake. And we can call on him, and he is aware because he is awake. As a matter of fact, remember that, that he, is, he is bigger than your biggest problem, right? And who is our biggest problem? Everybody say, I am, right? I am my biggest problem. And look at verse 4. It says this. It says, verse 4 says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. In other words, this God who is, who is aware that you made a mistake, this God who doesn't sleep, he is aware not just of you, he is aware of an entire nation. He's that big. He is aware of an entire world that, that he can handle the mistakes of an entire nation, guess what? He can handle your mistakes as well. Which means this, that God is bigger than my biggest mistake. Right? Let's, let's repeat that together. That God is bigger than my biggest mistake. Adele has a new album out, and she, had this, she has a song called Easy On Me, and there's a, a, a line in it where she says, I didn't have time to choose what I chose to do, right? I didn't have time to choose what I chose to do. In other words, she's saying, I made a mistake. And that's the whole point of the song is, hey, go easy on me, right? Like, like in the world of cancel culture, it's easy to say when somebody makes a mistake, we're done with them. But in the kingdom of God, we all make mistakes. 
Right? You and I make mistakes all the time, and God doesn't make us make mistakes because that would be a mean God, but he's there when we fall. He's there when we slip. And so what does this mean for you and me when we make a mistake? It means that when my mistake is my biggest problem, I own my mistake and I keep following God, right? I keep moving forward. We don't need to blame God. God didn't make the mistake for you. We don't need to blame others. Nobody put that mossy rock in the creek. It was there because guess what exists in creeks? Mossy rocks, right? It may mean that you need to apologize to someone. It may mean that you need to say, I'm sorry. I made a mistake, and will you forgive me for all the problems that it caused? Because what you do when you own the mistake is that you fix the problem and you keep moving forward. Imagine if you stepped on on a mossy rock in a creek and you just stayed there, right? And you say, well, I fell. I guess everybody's life will just go on and I'll just stay here in this refreshing creek. Right? It's stupid, isn't it? It's foolish. But yet we do it all the time. And what's worse is we force people to do it. We say, you made a mistake, you're done. When it was just a mistake. What if Peter, remember that great, that great, uh, journey that Peter was on as he was kind of getting used to the, the place that he called home with Jesus instead of the place he lived, and he sees Jesus out walking on water, you know? And Peter, in his, in his bravery and in his courage, says, Lord, call me, and I will come out to you. And Jesus calls him, and, and he steps out of the boat, right? And, and can you imagine that moment where he's like, you know, splash, 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 and he puts his foot out, and he's like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm standing, and he puts his entire weight outside of the boat, and he takes a couple of more steps, and it says the waves crashed up against him. Of course they did, because where was he? He was standing on water. Like, of course they did, but it freaked him out, just like it would any of us, and he starts to sink. Imagine if you read your Bible and said, and Peter drowned that day. That would change the story, wouldn't it? Right? We all make mistakes. But it says that Peter cried out to Jesus and Jesus reached down and saved him because God doesn't sleep and he doesn't slumber. And we can own our mistakes and we can cry out to Jesus and say, save me, and he is there. He never, ever left. And so we can own our mistakes and we can apologize and we can move forward. And so the question for you to consider, if your biggest problem is a mistake that you made, your biggest problem that's fun. We have a parade in church. That's great. If your biggest problem is a mistake you made, then the question for you is, where do you need to own and fix my mistake? Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. Now on this journey, as you can imagine, in Israel, it gets hot as you're making this journey from where you live to where you go home. I grew up in Texas, and I know what it's like to to be hot, like mowing the yard in 100 degree weather is hot, and it's miserable, and I would suggest no one ever do it. I don't know why my parents let me do it, right? But yet I did, mowed the yard in 70 degree weather. Imagine walking miles and miles and miles in the heat. And, and, And when you do, you see like exhaustion causes problems, right? Like heat exhaustion, heat stroke. And God is saying as you go on this journey, 
exhaustion might be something that you experience. Right? And this, the, the world, in case you haven't noticed, is exhausted right now. Right? Teachers, healthcare workers, um, well, pretty much anybody that's working with anybody is exhausted right now. Right? And so if you're working with anybody or for anybody, whether you have a job or you get a paycheck or not, you're probably exhausted right now. The world is exhausted. And when we're exhausted, we just make bad decisions sometimes, don't we? Like Stacy and I have this, this rule that we don't have like an in-depth relationship conversation after 9 o'clock at night. Do you know how we learned that rule? We tried to have in-depth relationship conversations after 9 o'clock at night. And for me, like I, do, I just don't make good decisions when I'm exhausted. I don't know if they're, they're, I wouldn't call them necessarily bad decisions. Stacy might disagree with me on that. But, but it's when I'm exhausted, it's just hard to make good decisions. And there have been seasons in this church and seasons in my leadership where I've been exhausted. And those decisions that I've made haven't been good decisions. And here's why, because I've made them quick. Like when you're exhausted, you just make quick decisions, don't you? I didn't, I didn't give them time. I, didn't, I, I made them from this place of being tired. Right Instead of a place of patience and it caused problems. But here's God's heart when we face problems. Right? Here's God's heart when we're exhausted. Because remember, Jesus gives us good news. And if it doesn't sound like good news, Jesus isn't done yet. You see, the good news in God's heart is that God is bigger than my exhaustion. All right? Repeat that with me. God is bigger than my exhaustion. You see, when you and I live in a relationship with God, we get to experience something different in our exhaustion. As we're on this journey from the place that we live to the place that we call home, when we're exhausted, we know that God is with us, and, and we get to experience something different. This passage describes God as our keeper and as our, our, as our guardian, right? That he is the shade at our right hand. It says this, too. It says uh, in verse 6, it says, The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. You see, when you and I are in a relationship with God, we get to experience something different in our, in our exhaustion. The way that God is pictured here that he will keep you is that he is a guardian, right? That he is our keeper. He is, he is our babysitter. A better word to think about this is that he is our boundary is the word that's used, right? That he is our keeper. He is the, the hedge around us. He is the wall around us. You see, when you and I are exhausted, God provides this God-shaped boundary that sometimes we call margin, right? Because when we have margin in our life, it breeds patience. That our patience, that our life with God breeds margin and it breeds patience. And Jesus was the master at this. I mean, imagine everything that he accomplished in three years of ministry. And one of the things that it says about Jesus over and over and over again is that he would stop and pray, that he would stop and rest, that he would get away. By himself. And y'all, this is the man who held the entire universe together, is what Colossians said. If anybody could set example of just go, 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 and do, 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 it would have been Jesus. But instead, he was like, he was like, I need a break. I need to spend time with my good father. Right? I need some, some margin right now. You see, he gives us permission to say no. He gives us permission to say, you know what? Let me just hit pause for a minute and think and pray about this. 
right? Jesus embodies this, and he often took time to get away and pray and to be with God. Why? Because Jesus knew, as this psalm says, that the Lord is the shade at his right hand. Right? He knew that God's presence never leaves, that not only is God aware of our needs, he doesn't sleep, he is present as, as much as the present as the shade of my right hand. That's over here, actually. Right? But if you're watching, anyway. right? exhaustion comes from striving when, when, when we're working so hard for what we think we need instead of just resting in God's presence. You see, when my exhaustion is the problem, I can actually slow down and trust God's presence with me. And let me tell you what that looks like to the other human sitting next to you is that it looks like patience. Patience is this marker of spiritual identity. Uh, One of my mentors, man, when I'm with him and I'll ask him a question, I see him do this. And what he's doing is he's showing me patience. And he's stopping, and he's thinking, and he's meditating, and then he answers me. And, and it's funny, last week something happened in our worship service that I thought was so cool. Because Heidi was up here leading worship, and she was leading us in a song, uh, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, right? And we all know this song, and so we sing it, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, right? right? And she slowed us down. We all, if you were here last week, you felt it, right? She slowed us down. And I loved it because she stuck to her guns. And we tried. We tried to speed her up. <laughs> right? Like it took three or four tries. And we we're like, she don't know what she's doing. Let, let's just keep singing. But what happened is she stuck to her guns. And you know what we did? We slowed down. Right? And I, thought, I, think, I think what she did was, was good and it was powerful and it was beautiful because this is what God does with us. He takes our exhaustion and he slows us down. And y'all, we fight it, don't we? We fight it. We try and speed him up and, and that's when we get into problems and that's when we get exhausted. Instead, what this psalmist is saying is that when Jesus leads you, when God leads you, he gives you permission to slow down. And so think about this question. Where do you need to slow down? Right? Where do you need to slow down? Verse 7 says this, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Like when we ask, what do I do? Right? That the, 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 the psalmist here is saying, he will keep you from all evil. Remember, when they looked into the hills, there were these temples to false gods. And so, so when we're on this journey from the place we live to the place we call home, it's real easy to fall into temptation, right? And temptation isn't a sin, but temptation is the on-ramp to sin, right? We're all tempted. I think it was Martin Luther that said, it's not a sin for the birds to fly by. It's a sin for them to make a nest in your head, Right? And temptation is this on-ramp to sin, and it's this detour from, from God's way of living down this highway of living like those who don't know Jesus. And just like everyone else, just like we make mistakes, just like we get exhausted, it's really easy on this journey from where we're living to the place we call home to take a little detour and to get on the on-ramp of temptation that leads to this highway of sin. And the psalmist is saying, listen, he will not it says, it says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep you safe. You see, and so here's the good news, and there's always good news. Just like there's an on-ramp to sin, guess what else there is on that highway? There's an exit. Right? There's always an exit. 
And the psalmist is saying that we are all tempted. We all sin, but God is bigger than the evil that you're toying with. That God is bigger than my sin. Right? And so if you're looking to the hills and you say, where does my help come from? And, and, and God says, well, let's look at you. You're your biggest problem. And the problem right now is that you're in sin. The psalmist is saying, and God is bigger than that biggest sin in your life. Repeat that with me, that God is bigger than my sin. God is bigger than my sin. That one was harder, wasn't it? Look at verse 8. The Lord will keep you, you're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And so here's the promise in God's heart in this, is that he will never let us go. Even on this highway of sin, he will keep you. He will never let us go. He will never separate himself from us. Paul in the New Testament took this idea in Romans 8 and he says this. I'm going to read a chunk of Romans 8 to you. And and what I want you to do, I'm going to read Romans 8, 31 through 38. I don't want you to look at it. I want you to sit back and listen to it. Right? Because it talks about God's heart in the midst of temptation and sin and, and even us making mistakes and the whole deal. is This is what Paul says. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long, and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like, I love what Paul wrote here, because, like, any questions? Can you come up with something that's not on that list? There's nothing that can separate you. You see, when sin is my biggest problem, it's easy to live separated from a God who's not separated from me. And this is God's promise, is that that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But when we sin, we we are the ones who build these walls. And this is the result of my sin, that sin separates me and you from a God who isn't separated from us. And this separation causes problems. Now, what would be different if instead of living this separated life from the God who loves us and the God who created us, what would be different if we realized that that God wasn't separated from us, that he was the shade at our right hand, that he was was our keeper? What would be different instead of living this separated life, we instead returned to him and like Peter did, we called out to him when we were in trouble. We returned to the God who loves us, the God who created us, And what this psalmist says is that he creates us to live not just eternally from this time forth and forevermore is what the psalmist says, but today and our going out and our coming in. On that Aldi run, 
right? You go out and run to Aldi. God is with you. You go out and go to Walmart. That's when you know you need God with you. Right? Like he is with us. You see, when sin is my biggest problem, I can confess my sin and return to my relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Amen? You see, that's the heart of our gospel. And I know some of you need to hear this today. That your sin has caused the biggest problem in your life. That your exhaustion has caused the biggest problem in your life. That that your mistake has caused the biggest problem of your life. And the promise is your mistake and your exhaustion and your sin isn't too big for God. He can take care of you. And so today, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, I ask you to do that and to sit in his chair and to rest with him. And for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, whatever your biggest problem is, sit in a chair with him and rest with him. Rest in a God that is bigger than your biggest problem. And I promise you, I promise you, And I can guarantee you a hundred and whatever percent that God is bigger than your biggest problem. Because your biggest problem is you. And I know God is bigger than us. Right? There you go. Right. Right. Like, right? We know God is bigger than us. Right? All right. Let's pray. Jesus. You are bigger than our biggest problem. You are bigger than me. You are bigger than us. And oh, I'm so glad to have a God that's bigger. Because if you were a puny God, you would not be worth worshiping. But you are not. You are bigger and we are glad. And may we come to you when when Monday hits us hard, may we remember that you are bigger. When Tuesday gets boring, may we remember that you are bigger. When Wednesday gets frantic, may we remember that you are bigger. Right? When Thursday is just Thursday, you are bigger. And when Friday comes, may we remember that you are even bigger than our excitement that work is over. You are bigger. And in all that, may we, may we rest with you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.